Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. We have a very special edition, guys, of Blue White Breakdown this week. I'm Bob Flounders, joined as always by Greg Pickle, but we have some special guests. Because you are also joined by the Buckeye Talk crew, Doug Maurice and Nathan Baird, on this special Advanced Communications crossover <laughs> episode. It's awesome. I'm excited. Um, I think it's going to be, you know, Penn State, Ohio State going to be a very interesting game it's going to be at beaver stadium but there won't be a whiteout um and both teams come into the game guys probably you know with a little bit different mindsets after what happened on saturday let's let's greg let's just real quick uh greg i hope you're well i hope lola is well the golden retriever your golden retriever but let's just get to our guests right away uh doug and nathan we have a lot of questions about uh, Ohio State and where they're at, but also I'm sure you guys want to know some stuff about 0-1 Penn State. But, you know, Doug, I've known you for a long time. We've done these before. I'm excited. And uh, even though Penn State's 0-1, I think it's going to be a pretty interesting game. I, I think it feels like, Nathan, that's what everybody's assuming from Ohio State, that yes, we know Penn State lost, but we've talked, to, we talked on our previous podcast how many yards Penn State put up, how oh, Penn State doesn't seem afraid of Ohio State, like a lot of teams do. And we just got off with Ryan Day and Nathan. It felt like that's what Ryan Day was indicating, that they're expecting the regular kind of Penn State brouhaha. Yeah, I think, you know, much like we talked about with me when I was doing my AP ballot, I think if you look at that game and how it unfolded, you take a lot away from the way that Penn State outplayed Indiana more than you take away from the fact that there was this some mistakes made by Penn State, to be sure. But then this also this controversial ending to the game that gives Indiana the win. I think if I'm a coach watching that game, I, I still come away with a lot of things that I'm concerned about as it, com- as it relates to Penn State and the things that they did well in that game, more so than maybe just a couple of the dumb things that shot themselves in the foot that, that cost them the win there. That said, all of our Ohio State tech subscribers just want to know when James Franklin's going to get fired. So, <laughs> so, yeah, so you know where people's heads are here in Ohio. Yeah. And, and Greg, you can, you can talk, kind of talk, uh, address this, you know, the way, the way that regulation uh, played out for Penn state uh, there, I, there, are, there were some people that are very unhappy with uh, the, what, what, you know, how, how Penn state kind of forgot to do something very important at the end of that game that Kyle, they could have ended it in regulation and the fan base, I think is pretty worked up over, over that decision. Yeah, there's a lot of people upset, Bob, that Devin Ford didn't simply slide down and really would have put Penn State in a position to run out the clock or at least a good chunk of it. There may have been 10, 15, 6 seconds left, if that. Um, and instead, he goes in to score. You could see Penn State receiver Jahan Dotson yelling at him not to do that. You could see Ford immediately thought 
that it was a bad idea for him to score there. And instead, uh, it was too late by the time you put all those pieces together. So Indiana then drives the length of the field, scores, and uh, wins it in overtime on what you know is a controversial call, but one James Franklin felt could have went either way and therefore understood why it stood on the field. So yeah, moving forward, there's uh, plenty of questions still about this Penn State team. I think Ohio State probably certainly answered more uh, any questions it had in a much better way than what Penn State was able to do, but uh, they're obviously still excited for the chance to play Ohio State, knowing that, uh, as our good buddy Dave Jones put it before the Indiana game, that a loss against the Hoosiers would not be the end of Penn State's chances at a Big Ten title run if they could find a way to overcome Ohio State. Uh, it's obviously a pretty big challenge, and they're already, what, about 12-point underdogs. I mean, that's right, right, that Penn State runs the table, Penn State makes the playoff. I mean, with, that, with the way everything's so screwed up, I mean, same for Ohio State, but I don't know that anything changed, right? For Not that not that it has no effect to lose to Indiana, but it's like, all you got to do is win out. You're fine. Just win out. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, all you got to do is you got to beat uh, the team that many people believe is the number one team in the country once they get rolling. That's all you got to do. And oh, and oh, by the way, you got to do it without your uh, All-American linebacker, your two best running backs, and uh, – your special teams better play a lot better or you might be in huge trouble at Beaver Stadium. That's all you got to do. Yeah, so, and and you've got to overcome this thing. And I, and I, I do want to ask this kind of off the top for you guys because we have a couple yeah. questions from our Ohio State Tech subscribers to ask our, our Penn State experts here. And, and as I said, uh, I have three questions that are all on the same lines. It's just interesting. I don't know if what, it's always interesting do the what the thought process is of the actual fan base versus what people think on the outside what the thought right. process is. Does it match up? We have this from the 513. At what point is James Franklin on the hot seat for not being a great in-game coach? His recruiting has carried him for years where he is elite, but he yeah. has cost them a number of games with his in-game coaching. We have another similar question from the 801. How does the fan base feel about Franklin? Seems morale and recruiting have dipped this year. Is the program beginning to sour on him? Or is that just sentiment from outside observers? And then from the 678, what's the likelihood that James Franklin gets fired after this year? It feels like game management and recruiting have dipped this year. And yeah. is Penn State wanting more someone like P.J. Fleck or Luke Fickle who could slide right in? That is where Ohio State people are with the program that by far has challenged Ohio State more than any other program in this conference. But yet, that's what Ohio State fans are thinking. Is, is there any truth to any of that among actual Penn State fans? Oh, they're pretty riled up, Greg. Uh, I would just, I, I want to I get Greg's perspective on this. My theory is a lot of those questions, I think, are being asked by the Penn State fan base. Um, but the, the, the issues go hand in hand, right? So it's great that Penn State has played Ohio State off its feet most of the times they've played the last few years. But the other way you can look at it is they've blown two double-digit leads in the second half uh, to the Buckeyes. And, you know, last year's game was 28-17. I didn't really feel – it felt like Ohio State probably played their C game and um, that they just turned the ball over too much. But it's – so they lose the close games, Greg, and then you hear players that Penn State is targeting say, I want to go to a school that's going to A, develop me, and B, uh, I want to play in the playoff. And, you know, you're not going to beat Ohio State. None of that's going to happen. So I think you're starting to see that uh, affect Penn State's recruiting. 
Yeah, I do think that part of the issue that Penn State faces, and I do think if you polled a majority of the Penn State football fan community, I do think a majority would still be behind James Franklin, still believe he's the right guy to lead this program. But there is certainly a a sense of impatience coming from a lot of people, especially the ones who maybe stood behind James Franklin the most so far. And just the sense that it always feels like once the season arrives and now the recruiting has not gone well this year. So it's already felt that way. Um, but they've at least been able to point back to the pandemic and no visits and things like that. And you can rationalize and explain it if you really want to, but you know, there always feels like once game day gets here, you just wonder what the mistake might be this week or what thing could go wrong that shouldn't go wrong or doesn't go wrong at the other quote unquote elite programs around the country. And I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes. I don't think Penn State's close to firing James Franklin. I don't know if he's on any, even close to being on any kind of hot seat. But I do think that uh, if you would talk to the people who support him most, I think there is a growing sense that it's time to clean up some of this stuff. Seven years is long enough. You have maybe the most talented roster you've had, uh, even without, well, that was before Micah Parsons left, Noah Kane and Journey Brown missed time and some other guys are out of, the, out of there too. So, you know, but they still have a ton of talent, certainly much more than when James Franklin got here. And yet some of the same coaching mistakes he first made, especially on game days when he got to Penn State, are still taking place. And I think that's starting to really wear on the Penn State fan base uh, we, year in and year out. Greg, do you have a question? Can we give a question to Nathan and Doug? And you, you got one or two for maybe uh, for those guys? Yeah, so our tech subscribers also were interested in getting your guys' opinion. And they basically just want to know this. Do you think there's any chance Penn State can keep it within 12 and a half points and keep this game respectable going into the fourth quarter? If there's a lot of negativity, I would say, from this group, or at least the ones who got back to us uh, when we queried them for podcast questions, that they feel very pessimistic about Penn State being able to run with Ohio State based on what you saw in Lincoln and then also, or against Nebraska, and then also what you saw uh, from whatever you've been able to catch of Penn State, Indiana. What do you, where, where are you at on that this early in the week? So just as a point of information, Sports gambling is legal in Pennsylvania now. It is not yet legal in Ohio. And I can tell people just want gambling advice from us. But we know what's up, tech subscribers. Nathan, why don't you take this one? Well, I mean, Penn State played within 11 points of Ohio State last year. And that was, I think, a more top-to-bottom talented Ohio State roster, especially at this point of the year compared to where that team was at that point of the year, Chase Young coming back for that game and everything. So certainly it's plausible that they could play within 12 and a half points. You've also got an Ohio State team here that didn't look um, great in some aspects of the game against Nebraska. Don't let the score fool you too much. Kind of the opposite, I guess, of what happened in the Penn State-Indiana game. But like, you know, some, some ways that the running game was not quite there yet some ways that defensively there are some issues that they have to clean up as any team, I guess, would have after week one. But certainly earlier in that game, they look pretty vulnerable. It's 17-14 late in the first half, and Nebraska has the ball with a chance to go down and tie or take the lead. So it wasn't a complete boat race the whole day. So I think there's a possibility that, that Ohio State or that Penn State could play within there. I think kind of what you said, though, I think plays into this is that the 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 turnovers, I think, have, have been an issue. They've been a factor in this game the last couple of years. And one of the reasons why uh, Penn State kept it close, maybe especially last season, Ohio State gave some points away or left some points on the field because of turnovers. And uh, so if that happens again, that obviously makes it much more likely that Penn State can either spring an upset or at least be within reach of it late in this game. And that was something Ryan Day, when we spoke with him on Tuesday, Ryan Day brought up the turnovers on his own, that, that obviously they were such a big deal last year. But he said, if we keep turning it over like that against Penn State, we're not going to win. 
Yeah, you know, one other problem, guys, and I'm sorry to cut you off, Bob, but this was another question we got, too, is that, you know, it almost feels like there was one suggestion we got that it might be time for that that script to flip and Penn State to have the turnover bug in this series. The Lions turn it over three times against Indiana, one special teams, two on offense. So uh, the question that kind of follows this line of, of thinking is, where is Ohio State in terms of being a turnover team, both on offense and defense, comparatively to years past, uh, either under Ryan Day or before he took Justin over? Justin Fields doesn't throw picks, man. Like Justin Fields, for being as dynamic and kind of a game-breaking talent like he is, he does not – he's very accurate and he makes really good decisions. So that part of it is hard. But he got loose last year. He fumbled on the goal line last year. He fumbled another time last year. Again, I don't think that's a huge part of his game. But there's a great debate with Ohio State fans right now and the Ohio State coaching staff of like how much Justin Fields should run. Their running backs aren't as good as J.K. Dobbins last year. And so he, went, he ran it 15 times against Nebraska. They keep saying they don't want to run him. They all reinforce that again on Tuesday. I think they're going to end up with him having to run. He's going to choose to scramble at times. He's going to choose to keep it in the zone read. And so I think he's going to have the ball in his hand. So again, he put it on the ground twice last year against Penn State. I don't think he's going to throw picks, Nathan. I think you, you were agreeing with that. But, I, you know, their running backs are new. And I, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't know if Penn State's going to go after it, be trying to strip the ball out. But Nathan, Ohio State could put the ball on the ground maybe in a game like this. Sure. And for the Penn State fans who are listening to this, Fields threw three interceptions all of last year, and two of them were in the national championship game, including the one on the, the last semifinal. play of the game. Semifinal. Or the semifinal. You're right, right the playoff semifinal on the last play of the game. So that, that gives you some idea of just how rare those are for him. And he was 20 of 21 passing in the first week. So, but I agree. I think from it's the running game where Ohio state's more vulnerable to turnovers and small sample size. We don't really, I don't think know have a great grasp on these starting running backs and how they hold on to the ball. I really don't remember much from master Teague in that capacity last year, but he was definitely the secondary guy after JK Dobbins. So a lot of times he was getting a lot of his yards at times when frankly, we were already, writing about what had already happened in that game. And um, Trey Sermon's new. Now, neither one of them put the ball on the ground in the first week. The only uh, fumble that Ohio State had was when Chris Olave took a hard shot on a reception and and fumbled in the process, and he had to leave the game. So we're waiting to hear what his status will be for sure this week. But I agree with Doug. I think that if, if Penn State's going to take it away from Ohio State, it's going to more likely come in the running game or maybe in some kind of special teams miscue because Garrett Wilson did have trouble with that last year. As dynamic as he potentially is in the run game as the punt returner, he definitely got loose with it a few times. Uh, his, his feet and his hands moving before uh, too soon or taking his eye off the ball. Um, so that's something to keep an eye on. So this is a question, again, from our tech subscribers at Ohio State that relates to this for, for Greg and Bob from the 614. How will Penn State scheme defensively for the Ohio State passing attack? How can Penn State slow down Justin Fields and these receivers? That was the thing that worked best yeah. for Ohio State in the opener. Bob and Greg, d- d- can Penn State, either with a pass rush or with good coverage in the secondary, try to slow down this Ohio State passing offense? Well, I would say, I, I, think, Penn, I think Ohio State's got Penn State in a little bit of, bind, of a bind in this game. And the reason I say that is James Franklin knows the difference in last year's game was Justin Fields' legs. Um, if you just look at the plays he made on third and fourth down, uh, when, they, when they, they had Micah Parsons in the game, it's third and five. He gets 14 yards on a quarterback draw. It's third and 12. He runs a quarterback draw for 17 yards. It's fourth and five. And Ohio State's driving a quarterback draw for 22 yards. They just, 
and this is with a pretty good linebacker group. They just couldn't contain him, and he also can extend plays with his feet. Uh, and, and so, but if you get worried about that too much, they have those wideouts on the outside. I just don't know with a linebacker group that is very untested. And now that they're going to be missing a starter in the first half, Jesse Lucchetta will not play because of a targeting call. I just don't know if you're Brent Pry, Greg, I don't know what the priority is. I mean, because the one on the one hand, Penn state should be better uh, covering uh, the receivers because Tariq Castro fields and Joey Porter jr. Look very good against Indiana, but Ohio state is not Indiana, Greg. They have, some fantastic wideouts. I just think that eventually the dam is going to break on Saturday because you can play great defense 80% of the game against a team like Ohio State. But with that skill and that speed and Justin Fields being able to do so many things, you just got to mess up on two or three plays and it's the ball game. Yeah, I think Brent Price priority, Bob, should be to make sure Penn State's offense is very confident during practice this week. Uh, I don't know if he adds some different guys on the scout team or what he has to do, but make sure those guys are as ready for game day as they can be because they're going to have to score points to win this game. There's just no uh, question about it. You have to do that against Ohio State in most years. And certainly now you mentioned Jesse Lucchetta will miss the first half because of a targeting ejection at Indiana. You're already starting to a uh, young guy and in, in Brandon Smith and Ellis Brooks inside out uh now Lance Dixon will get called on more I didn't think the linebackers were bad against Indiana Bob but you could tell that they were working together as a unit for the first time and if they get out of their assignments and if they get out of their gaps and they do it early and they do it often and if the defensive line cannot there were a lot of close calls in Bloomington Bob where Chaka Tony the Penn State defensive end or Antonio Shelton the defensive tackle were very very close to finishing off uh, Michael Penix Jr. And they were just a step late. And that was the uh, same thing happened quite a few times with Justin Fields and some of these other Ohio State offensive players over the year. That's one thing about Brent Pride's defense. It has some awesome stats, but there are times when they are just a little bit too, uh, you know, one second, half second late, and it's allowed other teams to make big plays against them. And the other problem too is if you didn't get to watch the game, there are at least three or four instances where, either Michael Penix Jr. missed a wide open receiver down the field or in the case of his tight end Peyton Hendershot the fourth quarter, he just dropped it. And, uh, you know, Ohio State may suffer some drops, but I can guarantee you this, if Ohio State and Justin Fields have some of the, what's or without Alave, if he plays or if he doesn't, um, if they have some of these receivers as open as some of Indiana's guys ran free, I don't think Justin Fields is going to miss them like Michael Penix did. And then that would that'd be a different conversation had that not been the case at Indiana. I'm curious about this, and, and you brought his name up, Greg, and this isn't from a texter, but it's, it's from a, a texter named Doug. Uh, I do get my own texts because sometimes I like, I'm such, my ego is so huge. I want to write something and then read what I just wrote. The arguments he gets in with himself are probably just epic. It's just him in his basement yelling for nonstop for two hours, slightly different voices. Flounders knows. He knows what I'm like. The idea of Shaka Tony being the best pass rusher in this game which I don't know if, I mean, if we go back, Chase Young, Nick Bosa, Joey Bosa, how, when has that ever been true? We, we have saw it with Ohio state. They didn't get a great pass rush. They have a defensive end rotation with five guys. We're kind of waiting to see who emerges there. There isn't a Chase Young kind of guy that's apparent right now, but I'd like to get Nathan on that, where he thinks the defensive ends for Ohio state are going to be by week two for this game. But then Greg and Bob, like how much can Shaka Tony or this Penn State pass rush, do you think, 
have an effect on Justin Fields? Bob, if you guys want to go first with that. Yeah, so I just think that the danger with, with Fields is Shaka Tony and Jason Awe, the other starter. Jason Awe didn't have a great stat line against Indiana, but he was he was in the backfield the whole game. This is a first-year starter who might be literally the greatest winter conditioning athlete in Penn State football history. He's the 260-pounder that runs like 4-4. It's just it's obscene what he can do. But he looked like a football player against Indiana. Didn't finish. The problem when you pass rush against Justin Fields is if you get too far up the field, he's going to go out. He's going to, he's going to cut right inside. And, and then, then it's him against the young linebackers, and it's going to be 25 air. I just think they have to be very disciplined when you rush a guy like Justin Fields because he's such a great athlete. Sean Clifford is an athlete, but he's not an athlete like Justin Fields. I would say – I would expect, uh, even though Penn State's got – a pretty good left tackle. Um, the right tackle was worked over by Chase Young last year, Will Fries. Um, I think if you're going to attack Penn State's offensive line, that's kind of where you want to put your best pass rushers, probably the right to, over the right tackle. And you know pretty much where Sean Clifford's going to be, pretty much. He's just not quite as athletic as Justin Fields. And they ran, he got hurt in the Ohio State game last year, but really he was hurt going into the game. And they talked about not running him nearly as much this year. But now the running game, they don't really have an inside runner. Devin Ford's more of an outside guy. Clifford ran the ball 17 times against the Hoosiers. And eventually, it's going to catch up to him. He's just You just can't run the ball that much between the tackles in the Big Ten and then hope to be, you know, upright for the month, for, for late November. I, I do expect Penn State's. Uh, offensive line to have some issues I think against the Buckeyes pass rush because I know they have great athletes and I think Nebraska's quarterbacks are a little bit more they had a couple of them didn't they that are a little bit more mobile I think than maybe Sean Clifford that Jason Alway name for Ohio State fans that's the guy Ohio State was in on right until the end in the recruiting process and so um, I think is that even maybe a better career at least from here than maybe people expected that was a guy who's a big time recruit but but to hear you talk about him that way not that, you know, Ohio State should be fine without him, but Nathan, we sort of talked about that, you know, what they did or didn't do in week one. Nathan, how do you think these Ohio State defensive ends will play against Penn State and getting after Sean Clifford? Well, I, I'm really curious to see it. And we didn't get to ask Ryan Day, or I guess we had the opportunity, but nobody really did ask him about that defensive end rotation today. If you had told me going into week one that Jonathan Cooper was going to play twice as many snaps as Zach Harrison, I would have assumed that there would have been some kind of an injury situation involved. And as far as we know, there wasn't, that was kind of a surprise. I mean, some of the most more dynamic talented guys, I mean, he, he's the number one example, I suppose he was fifth in snaps among the defensive ends. So I think that's something that we want to see progress as the season goes on. If that was just a one game thing as they were trying something, or if for some reason he is farther back in that rotation, because he's a guy that came in as a, you know, a major national recruit, and this is kind of supposed to be his, his breakout season. I do agree with Bob that this is a different matchup for Ohio State. I know Clifford has some running ability too, but, but he's not the same kind of quarterback as Adrian Martinez is. So I think that's the other thing that makes it a little bit hard to predict is there are situational things here. You know, for instance, I don't know if Ohio State really ever went to its traditional Rushman package on uh, Saturday, which is where they throw three or four, sometimes even for the three technique, throw four true defensive ends up there and just have them going at it or bring, we thought they might bring Baron Browning down with their Sam linebacker down more as a pass rush or something did on occasion last year. Never happened at all, I don't think, on Saturday from what I remember. So there's, I think this is one position group for Ohio State that is still maybe the most 
up in the air to me that I, I don't know. I don't have a great read on them going into week two. I need some more information before I can really tell exactly what Ohio State's trying to get done with that group. Greg, I wanted to – something that you and I noticed in the uh, Indiana game I think could really play out uh, in the Ohio State game, and that is uh, Penn State's wide receiver group is – a, a little bit young, B, a little bit unproven. And it didn't really seem like they were getting open very easily. Uh, I'm not talking about Pat Fryer with the tight end. It just seemed like they struggled to get open. And Sean Clifford had to pull the ball down or he had to, he, he wanted to throw it, but nobody was open. And it wasn't until late in the game, I think when IU got a little tired because they were on the field, that some guys began to break free. I, I know that Ohio State always has good, corners and I know Sean Wade is back and I'm sure they have some other guys that are four or five stars that will only get better as the season progresses but Greg what is your level and maybe we, we can direct this uh to to um our Ohio State guys what is the level of concern that Penn uh, Ohio State's just going to line up and press man and say good luck trying to get any separation and then they're just going to go after Clifford yeah, I mean, it's going to be up to Kirk Shiraka to find a way to, number one, get a rushing attack going and have it be more consistent without the first two guys who were on the depth chart three weeks ago. And Journey Brown, who has an undisclosed uh, medical condition, could come back, maybe won't. Uh, we don't know yet. Uh, definitely doesn't sound like he's playing this week. And then Noah Kane, uh, who is out now for uh, the season after suffering an undisclosed injury that appeared to be lower body early, very early, about, what, five plays into uh, the, the opener at Indiana. So he has to work with that. Kirk Sharaka does the first year Penn State offensive coordinator. But yeah, I mean, and I'll throw this back to Doug and Nate then. And there's always a couple of guys that fans may not have heard of from recruiting or whatever. Now, in the case of Ohio State, when you look at the depth chart, I think everyone's heard of Julian Fleming. So that may not be uh, may not be quite a, a good segue for you guys. But, you know, for Ohio State fans, there's two young uh, receivers, first year guys, Keandre Lambert-Smith. Parker Washington both played a pretty nice role and did a nice job for Penn State at certain parts of this game. But you could tell each of those guys was just starting to get his feet wet. Uh, Washington had a big catch late. You know, Jahan Dotson is the veteran and leader of that group. But if Penn State's going to win this game, guys, or even be in the conversation for um, you know, winning it down the stretch. They will need those two to get open and be more consistent earlier and often because they have some veterans, you know, Cam Sullivan Brown's one, Daniel George is one who I think a lot of people expected those guys to take a bigger step forward going into this season. And it happened, ha hasn't happened yet. So if Ohio state does line up that way, and they'd be very smart to Penn state's going to have to rely on its youngsters. And I don't know if Ohio state has anybody else like that, but they're going to have to rely on their youngsters to really help lead this offense down the field. So we know, as Bob mentioned, Sean Wade is back as I think has a case to uh, among the best defensive backs, among the best cornerbacks in the country, but the other guys there in the secondary for Ohio state are young and they last year did run a mix of cover one and cover three. We're still kind of curious exactly how that's going to emerge this year with Kerry Combs as a first year defensive coordinator. But Nathan wrote about this guy coming off the game. Seven banks is a guy. He's a third year player. A lot of young defenders from the class of 2018 uh, for Ohio state getting a shot this year. Nathan, how did you think seven banks played? And when we talk about, Hey, if Greg and Bob are saying Penn state's got to be able to get open and throw do you think seven banks and some of these other young OSU corners are up to the task of not letting that happen? 
Well, it's, it's actually more accurate to say that they're inexperienced in the secondary than they are young because Seven Banks is a third-year guy. Uh, Marcus Williamson, who is their starting slot corner now, is a senior. Uh, 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 Cam Brown is another guy who's a third-year guy. Tyree Johnson, another corner who's on the bench, is a third-year guy. Josh Proctor and Malik Harrison, the safeties, are third-year guys. So they're guys who've been kind of waiting in the wings behind these guys who are in the NFL now. The, the, the two first-round starting corners that were picked last year and Jordan Fuller is having a nice start. Um, despite his low draft status for, for the Rams. So I, I thought it was a good first game or a good kind of you know, that whole defense is kind of setting a baseline in the first week. I thought you saw good and bad from that group, but I, they need playmakers on defense. Seven banks showed that that might be something he can be um, had a, a 55 yard uh, scoop and score for a touchdown in the game after a Pete Werner, one of the, the other veteran linebackers knocked it loose. So they've got to find a way to come up with, with some plays like that over the course of a, a game and over a course of a season. That was really the only instance from the first week. I still think that's what still needs to maybe come out of this defense a little bit more. Um, but again, some of it, even though they've got some, some guys who are back as starters on defense, some of them are switching spots, especially at this linebacker group. So nine of the 11 spots have uh, had a first time starter on Saturday at that position. So I, I expect to see some growth, not just between week one and week two for this defense, but as the season goes along, that was the defense had a higher, had farther to go to reach its ceiling, but it might still be a pretty good ceiling. Just a slip of the tongue by Nathan. He said Malik Harrison. It's Marcus Hooker, who's the Marcus deep safety, Hooker, yeah. who's the young guy. Yeah. Just and and for Penn State fans who don't know, he is the younger brother of Malik Hooker, who tore up the world. Hint, hint, hence the slip up. And so my question is this: as it relates to that, it's interesting. We've all we've talked about this a lot. I'm sure you guys have too. Graham Mertz at Wisconsin, what he did in Week One, and unfortunately now out with COVID. But Joe Milton at M Michigan, what he did in Week One. It's always been a question in the Big Ten: what kind of quarterback league is it? And it just feels like if you're going to beat the big boys, your quarterback better play pretty good. Does Sean Clifford have it in him running and throwing to play the kind of game that you might need to play to beat Ohio state? Is that, is that in Sean Clifford somewhere? And if it's in there, how, how deep is it buried? I mean, I, I just think that if you just look since James Franklin has been at Penn state, they've played, I think I got this right. They, they played six times in Penn state's one and five. Um, and the year that Penn State won, you know, it was really a defensive game. Uh, Ohio State led late, but neither quarterback really distinguished themselves. And I think it was part of the reason was Penn State's pass rush in the crowd really limited what Ohio State could do in that game. But Trace McSorley, I don't think, was particularly great in that game. It was really a defensive game. But every other game, um, I, you know, Ohio State's quarterback, I thought was the difference in every other game, whether it was whether it was JT Parrott in overtime in 2014, whether Cardale Jones starts the game in 2015, JT Barrett, who's still relatively healthy, uh, relieves him. Now he has an amazing game at the horseshoe. 2017, he was the best player on the field in the fourth quarter. You know, 2018, Haskins gets his act together in the second half and they kill. Penn State with underneath throws and broken tackles, but Haskin makes the throws. And, you know, last year we, I, we talked about what Justin Fields was able to do, even though he made some mistakes, the plays he was able to make with his legs. I think that Sean Clifford had a very rough first half against Indiana. This isn't a more athletic defense that he's going to see. He's, I, Greg, I would expect him to play a little bit better. Uh, especially you know, because he couldn't play really very well in last year's game because he was hurt. But he's just not at Justin Fields' level. And when you look at this game, it's hard, it's hard to see the formula 
for Penn State to win without their All-American linebacker and when they have a good quarterback, but a quarterback that I don't think is, is nearly as good as Justin Fields. Yeah, I don't know how you could disagree. I mean, Clifford at Indiana, 24-35, 2-38, three touchdowns, two interceptions. There were moments, you know, we climbed a pocket late. I believe it was Washington who he hit down the sideline. Um, there were moments in that Indiana game where he looked uh, good. I mean, he looked like a guy who maybe is not going to be at that level, but could at least be serviceable enough right below that level to get you, keep you, get you in and keep you in a game like this. Um, but, you know, the two interceptions were brutal. He sailed both of them. They were not particularly close to where he wanted them to go. Um, and again, his receivers struggled to get open. I think that's worth noting, too. Some of those completions, he just had nowhere to go with it. And I think the bigger concern is Indiana at times forced Penn State and Sean Clifford to run when they weren't designed quarterback runs. And they already had decided they were passing based off the RPO look. So he got beat up last year and, in fact, was was so beat up that he had to leave the Ohio State game early. And remember, Will Levis came in because he was in a lot of those same situations where he was running a lot. He was taking too many hits. He was spending too much time outside of the pocket, getting hit by two guys and not getting two yards. Um, so I think that's another concern for Penn State, even if Clifford does play better than what uh, some of the, the games that we've seen him play is, are they going to be able to hold up enough both protection wise? You mentioned that it questions around the Ohio State defensive line. Penn State has a veteran line. Maybe the protection's better this year. But if the offense doesn't click and the run game doesn't get going and the receivers don't get open, it could look a lot like what Colum you know, the problems were in Columbus. Yeah, Bob, you're not winning too many games when you don't do those things. Um, you know, it could look a lot like that Columbus game last year where he just took too many hits early and that really impacted what he was able to do as both a runner and a thrower. Uh, so I guess the long and short way of answering your question is, is we haven't seen it yet at least not consistently. I'm not sure we saw it much on last Saturday. And they're just going to need more out of him if they want to go and beat Ohio State, even at a family-only Bill Beaver Stadium. The last question that we had from our tech subscribers, I think is a nice wide-open question, and we can maybe answer it on our side too. But from the 937, who are the unknown gems on Penn State's roster that are going to give Ohio State fits on Saturday? I think it's always valuable for fan bases to be like, who's the guy that I don't know that when I watch the game, I'm going to be like, oh, that guy on yeah. the opposing team. So who, who are some of those yeah. one or two Penn State guys? All right, I'll, I'll start. I think I really like those questions too, because I just think that that's, I, I would imagine Penn State fans are trying to figure out, well, who are the Ohio State guys not named Justin Fields and Olave and, and, you know, who are the guys that are, that are going to get us, you know, this year for me, the guy that really impressed me in week one, making his first start. Uh, he's got a famous last name, Joey Porter, Jr. The son of the former Steeler linebacker. Um, he redshirted last year. They played other guys over him at corner um, because they, they felt like even though he was a physical specimen, he wasn't quite ready uh, for all that goes into playing corner in terms of knowing the defense. This guy is almost 6'3". He's 200 pounds. He can run. He's got very long arms. And he was really, really good, I thought, against Indiana. Him and Cherie Castro-Fields, they really did a nice job. I thought Indiana had some pretty good receivers, and they were pretty quiet until the very late stages. They only had 200 yards. Um, but Joey Porter Jr. going against the Ohio State wideouts, I'm very anxious to see if he can continue to uh, play, uh, you know, 
strong and can also, you know, he, he doesn't seem like he's going to back down. He relishes man-to-man coverage, but you're, you're talking about different types of athletes, I think, when you talk about those Ohio State wideouts. They're, they're just terrific. I know last year they made a couple of great catches in that game, and I'm sure they'll do it again. But, Greg, for me, it's Joey Porter Jr., Joey Porter Jr., excuse me, excuse me, a redshirt freshman corner. Is there anyone that maybe Ohio State fans uh, should know about at Penn State in your mind? Yeah, keep an eye on Adisa Isaac, a defensive end who is very talented and maybe has the, the – he's like 1A and 1B if always their most explosive uh, freakish athlete on the defensive line, not to take any away from Shaka Tony, but those guys just have a twitch that you haven't seen before. Um if always 1A, uh, the Isaacs 1B, and they'll put him in in certain situations to try and get more of a pass rush. And he's a guy who, if he shows up, it's probably going to be via a splash play. So keep an eye out for him. On the other side of the ball, we mentioned the young two receivers, Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert-Smith. But, Bob, I'll go with running back Kevon Lee. Penn State's yeah. going to get plenty of work for Devin Ford early in this game, I think. But I thought of the two freshman running backs, Lee was just a little bit more impressive than fellow Florida Ford star Kaziah Holmes in the absence of Noah Kane and now with him and Brown expected to be out for this Ohio State game I don't think they're going to completely it'll be you know maybe 70 20 10 they'll split the carries something like that uh I you know you're going to see mostly Devin Ford but I think Kevon Lee could be a guy who could get some more run and impress in this game and that wouldn't have been the case at this time last week Nathan who's a guy for the Ohio State side that we could inform the Penn State listeners about in the same way yeah, you know, having already mentioned the defensive backs, I would say we were talking about the pass rush earlier in Ohio State needing to kind of conjure one. I would throw out Tyreek Smith as someone who, um, you know, he he came in after Chase Young, and now they're 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 recruiting these other big time guys, including Zach Harrison, who I mentioned earlier, in behind him. So he's kind of in that middle slot, and I don't know if he always got the fanfare, but the talent would seem to be there. He's just another guy that they're sort of waiting on to kind of just make that jump and, and really get up and, and be one of the better, you know, pass rushing forces in the, in the big 10. And I think it could happen this season. It's just, it's just a matter of him going out and kind of asserting himself. That's a guy I would keep an eye on who could maybe have a kind of a breakthrough game. And again, for Penn state fans, just like Ohio state was in on Jason Alway, Tyreek Smith is a guy from Cleveland that Penn state thought they were getting at least for a decent chunk of his recruitment. Right. So that's, it's always interesting and happens with Ohio state and Penn state. When you have these recruiting battles, we don't know about Chris Olave, the number one receiver who went out with an injury. Ryan day was very close to the vest and talking about him on Tuesday, Garrett Wilson, their other receiver said, yeah, I'm super confident he'll play. I talked to Chris, he should be fine. But I do think it's interesting. There's a true freshman named Jackson Smith, Najigba who made a crazy catch in the back of the end zone on Saturday and got his foot down. Garrett Wilson got moved to the slot this year, but he played outside last year when they go 12 personnel, they have Wilson outside. If something happens and Olave can't play on Saturday, I think Garrett Wilson will play outside a lot more. And I think Jackson Smith Najigba, who's their backup slot receiver behind Garrett Wilson, would suddenly jump to the forefront with a much bigger role in the offense. So that's a wrinkle. If Olave's fine, you're going to get a healthy dose of most of the passing game will run through Olave and Garrett Wilson. But if there's no Olave, watch out for Jackson Smith Najigba, a true freshman from Texas. So, guys, uh, why don't we just conclude uh, this crossover podcast? Um, Blue white breakdown and Buckeye. Is it Buckeyes talk, Doug? Is that is that the official name of yours? You have to say it like this: Buckeye talk. <laughs> Why don't we just maybe not give a score, but 
uh, why don't we just go around uh, the horn and say, what's the maybe the one key or the one position group, whether it's Ohio State, maybe you guys pick Ohio State, Greg and I'll pick Penn State. What's the one position group that um, could determine this game that's not maybe so obvious? I mean, every obviously, you know, Justin Fields is a good player, but is, is there a couple or is there a position maybe that either needs to play better or um, – or disappointed, yeah, disappointed you in week one, or is there a, is there kind of an underrated position uh, in the Ohio Ohio State scheme of things that could really cause problems for Penn State? I'll jump in with the running backs. We we talked about it a lot on Saturday. They just don't have a J.K. Dobbins type guy. Ryan Day admitted it on Tuesday. He thought there was some hesitation early. He thought maybe they could have done a better job with finding holes. Um, but he thought they got better in the second half of the game. He did say Nebraska kind of threw some weird fronts at him, but I'm just very curious, not that you can do it, not that you can stop Justin Fields on this passing game, but if Penn state sells out to say, we're going to whatever drop eight, we're going to have nobody in the box. We're going to make Justin Fields try to find little windows, but go ahead and run on us. We dare you to run on us. I'm curious to see like, is Ohio state's run game good enough to do that? Their offensive line is really good but I still have questions about Trey Sermon and Master Teague at running back. So there's been a lot of dispute. Were they actually fine and the holes just weren't there? Or I thought they just seemed slow to the hole, not great vision, a little hesitant at times. So I'm really curious what the running backs look like in week two. Nathan, what you got? Yeah, it was actually going to be my answer. And, and then correlated to that being an offensive line that I think is probably going to come into this game with a little bit of a chip on the shoulder or a little bit of a, um, we need, we want to show more than we did in the first week because they're supposed to be one of the best offensive lines in the country. I don't think they ever really asserted themselves as such in that first game. Talked to Josh Myers today, the returning starter at center. And I thought he kind of tiptoed around it a little bit like he kind of said you know yeah there were some things we could have done better other times where he's alluding to the fact that like well the holes were there and for whatever reason it just didn't happen which I think if you read into it I thought it spoke a little bit to what Doug is saying sometimes it's bad luck and then maybe sometimes it's guys need to hit that hole harder in a better way with with some more authority and and take matters into their own hands a little bit so I think both sides of the running game the, the way the offensive line will be out there kind of paving the way then the running backs taking better advantage of it i think they're both challenged to come into this game and, and have better performances greg yeah I, I would say it's penn state's front seven uh if you again uh you're going to need to score points to win this game but they're also going to have to make a stop or two along the way and Without Jesse Lucetta, Penn State's front seven will be working with, I assume it'll be Lance Dixon at a starting linebacker spot. So that'll be a changed wrinkle compared to what they had been working on during the shortened camp and then leading into obviously game week last week. So that's new. But, you know, we saw some flashes from the guys like Jason Alway and Adisa Isaac and Shaka Tony. But you know what? To win a game like this, even at home, you're going to have to have those guys just get a few more plays where they make a difference. And on a third and three or a third and four, they crash in and stop Ohio State. So for me, you could pick a number of Penn State groups. I'm going to go with the front seven. I think they are key to Penn State holding on here. And again, the better you pass rush you have, the more chance you have to take what is uh, green and it's somewhat, somewhat green, somewhat experienced secondary, maybe a little bit more out of play. Yeah, and I, I'm just going to be watching Greg uh... – I, I, with, with no Journey Brown uh, and no Noah Kane, Noah Kane isn't really a flashy runner, but he was a guy that could consistently get yards inside for Penn State when he was healthy. 
Devin Ford, the starter, I don't think he is really that type of a runner. He's not nearly as big as Noah Kane. And he, you know, he's at the stage of his career where he's probably always looking to bounce stuff. To me, I, I, I know they're young, but it, Penn State's wideout group, I, Penn State struggled to make chunk plays against Indiana until, until the very end of the game when Kirk Shiraka schemed up that 60-yard touchdown pass to uh, Jahan Dotson. That was, you know, that was kind of a tricky uh, play design, and I think they kind of confused Indiana to get that guy open. I don't know if it was a pure athletic move that did that, but I, I do think that Penn State's receivers are going to have to make more plays. They're going to have to break some tackles when they catch the ball. You know, there, there is no K.J. Hamler on this team to turn a five-yard pass into 93-yard touchdown like two years ago um, in State College when he did that. I just think that they're very raw. They didn't have a spring. Um, they're, they're not really five-star guys. Justin Shorter, the five-star, didn't work out. Hamler's in the NFL. And you just can't – the passing game just can't come down to we're going to try and throw the ball eight yards to Pat Fryermuth. Somebody is going to have to make – plays because Greg as you said you got to be able to score points if you're going to hang with Ohio State and I, I just I just wonder how many chunk plays Penn State can generate in this game with with no proven runner really and some real questions uh at the wide receiver position and you know Jahan, if Jahan Dotson is your best receiver and he's a good receiver I have to think how he's going to see probably an awful lot of Sean Wade and if that's the case who is the skill guy that's going to show up in the passing game for Penn State? I have some real questions about that. If they were playing later in the year, I might feel better about that group because it's really not fair to expect, you know, things to go, you know, smoothly right out of the shoot. But I think that's a, I think that's a tricky matchup for Penn State in this game. I'm curious to see how it plays out. All right, so we're doing this every week. Is that right? It's an official crossover every week now, even when they're not playing each other? <laughs> Do it. I'm sure I'm sure we'll get some Penn State questions from you guys. And we'll, I know Greg will tell you, like people always Penn State fans always want to know what's going on at, at Ohio State just because they're the they're the guy you got to catch. They're the guy. Those those that's the program that's making the splash in recruiting. And it is big brother, little brother right now, I think, until Penn State can ever finish out some of these close games. I mean, I would I would love to do that, but I don't know how Greg feels about it. Well, I'm sure if, if Penn State wins this game, I can tell you right now, our readers will want to hear more about what you guys think about Penn State the rest of the way than they will about what anybody thinks about Maryland, Rutgers, or Michigan State, or Illinois, or any of the other teams Ohio State's playing. Well, I do say this is the, the one thing about this Ohio State Penn State game this week is it is a great undercard and a table setter for Ohio State Rutgers in week three. <laughs> It's good that Ohio State can get a game like this to try to take it up in a level approaching what they're going to face when Rutgers comes to town. Hey, Greg Schiano taught taught Michigan State a lesson in week one. I wouldn't sleep on those Scarlet Knights. I would not. I would not do it. I'm really curious before we close. Honestly, Greg, will you agree? No one really wants to give Indiana credit for playing a gutsy game against the Penn State team. That's always what Ohio State does to Penn State winning close games. Penn State's done it to Indiana forever. Um, and I, I just feel like maybe Indiana's a pretty good team. And uh, it, it's not, you know, yes, Penn State made a ton of mistakes. But, you know, uh, the Hoosiers made a ton of plays when they when there was no other choice. They, there was no room for error. And those guys all played better. I just think Indiana might be a pretty good team. 
Yeah, I think if Penix Jr. can be a little bit more accurate, that's a group that has some talent at a number of key positions. And, you know, I don't know how great they are defensively, but they always seem to find a way to get a stop when they need one. And, yeah, I think Indiana deserves a lot of credit. Penn State certainly did enough to lose the game. Indiana certainly did enough to win it. I think a lot of the focus, and you can say it's right or it's not, has been put on all that Penn State did to lose that game. And I certainly think Indiana deserves some credit for what it was able to do as well. It did not like Penn State tried to hand them a drive to tie the game after Devin's Ford touchdown. Um, you know, and they could have easily went away after Penn State scored in the opening possession of overtime. They didn't, and they walked away with the win because of it. This was fun. This was fun. I'm still marveling at Ohio State's got a player named Seven Banks. I love, I don't like that name. I love that name. It's my favorite number. I'm going to be watching him on Saturday night just because of his first name. How about that, Doug? And he wasn't number seven last year, but no. he is number seven this year. <laughs> yeah, he finally has number seven. This is – say what you will about Ohio State. I mean, great names on this team. Master Teague, Steel Absolutely. Chambers, Seven Banks, uh, Tough Borland. Like, there's there's great names all over this roster. Yeah, they and, sound and, like they, and unfortunately for Penn State fans, they also can play a little football. Some of those guys sound like they should be in a Cinemax movie, quite honestly, but I'm sure they're good football players too. That's Maybe the someday. flounders I know and love. That's the flounders I, I was looking for. I didn't go too far. I didn't go too far. I went right up to the edge. You could take that any way you wanted, but that's that's the first thing I thought of when you started rattling off those names. Bob Flounders, who drove me home on my 21st birthday. <laughs> have to mention that every podcast. This was great, man. I'm glad we got a chance to talk. Uh, I'm glad we had a chance to meet Nathan. Uh, I don't, Doug, I know we're not going to see you Saturday night. Nathan, hopefully we'll get a chance to see you. And we can point you to the nearest sheets after the game for some post-game uh, nourishment. Pickle and I know where all the sheets are in State <laughs> College if you're hungry after the game. I'll leave I you know sheets well. I've had, my best friend lives in Pittsburgh. I've stopped at many a sheets over the years. I'm looking forward to it. All right, guys. Greg, any last thoughts? It'll be game day before we know it, Bob. Safe travels to Nate, and we are certainly looking forward to doing this again soon.